Hi, this is Lindsay Friesen with the As We Speak podcast. Thank you for listening. This is the first time that I'm speaking directly to you. I feel today is a, a special day. I'm releasing the podcast interview I did with Hazel Christie approximately a month ago. Hazel is a city planner, urban planner. She is the managing partner and principal planner with Christie & Associates a planning and corporate consulting firm based in Kelowna, BC. Hazel focuses on development approvals, land use, zoning matters, and community issues. She's achieved many significant milestones in community planning and local government in her 30 years in both public and private sectors. I was very happy when Hazel told me she would be willing to have a conversation with me. My background in architecture is a big reason why I was excited to talk with her. Her depth of knowledge and her years of experience in urban planning are invaluable to our community at this time. Not only to this community, but in many communities across British Columbia and truly our entire country. In our own region of the Okanagan, more and more people are moving here for the economic opportunities the recreational and lifestyle opportunities, the amenities for tourism, healthcare, education, and technology. Along with the demographic shift that we are currently experiencing, there are a number of changes in the way our communities are organized and the way that we experience a sense of community. There's a change in traffic flows with increased traffic, and a downward pressure on housing affordability, as well as the pressure that we all experience in contemporary culture. That includes the pressure to both be more effective and more efficient with our time. There really is no part of our daily lives that are not impacted by the work of urban planners, not just in Kelowna, but in every major center. And so the ways that we choose to organize ourselves, structure our communities, develop our residential education and transportation systems, they all have a ripple effect on economic development, social development, as well as environmental impact. And whether those planning choices and decisions that are made and recommended to our municipal governments, whether those recommendations are taken seriously or not, really does matter, not just at the time of decision, but really for decades to come. And the reason for that is quite clear. How we choose to organize our communities today sets a path and a direction for the way that our communities are built, organized, and experienced for five, ten, 20 and 30 years into the future. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hazel brings a wealth of knowledge and experience. I think you'll appreciate her enthusiasm, optimism, and level of professionalism and seriousness to this very important discussion. I'd also like to add the first 10 minutes is primarily me speaking as I explained to Hazel my own motivations for doing the podcast, for speaking with her, 
and to set a tone and atmosphere for the conversation. With each of my podcast episodes, it's important to me to establish a sense of rapport with my guests, to develop trust and a sense of ease, and to make it clear that primarily this is a personal encounter. Yes, with one another, Hazel as a planner, and in this case, me as the interviewer, but also as individuals. Before the conversation takes place, there's work to do. Preparation, transportation, I have to make plans and then arrive on time, and so on. So there are many tasks that require time and attention. And likewise for Hazel, organizing her time, setting aside time, giving some thought and preparation for the interview. The reason I mentioned this last point is simply to recognize that while each of us have our daily responsibilities, we also have a desire and a responsibility to practice thoughtfulness in the way that we conduct our own affairs and also how we extend kindness and compassion to one another. At the end of the day, this is what I hope this podcast is remembered for, that we are one community. We are one valley of approximately 250,000 people. If you include Osoyoos in the south and Vernon and Kamloops, Salmon Arm in the north and all the communities in between. I hope you enjoy this podcast episode with Hazel and I hope you listen to the other episodes. I'm very happy to say that we continue to have a great deal of interest around the topics of sustainability as well as mental wellness, housing affordability, and so on. So I'll leave it there for now. Thank you for listening. And now here's my interview with Hazel Christie. decided I, I wanted to, to hire myself as a, as a client okay. and sort of put, put, put myself through a design process. Yeah. And, um, and the purpose for doing that was essentially it came down to an exercise around language. In other words, how do, we, how, how do I speak, being in the first person, how do I speak to myself about my experience okay and that might be personal or it might be mm -hmm. professional mm -hmm. or it might be relational mm -hmm. um, 
But what is the story that I'm telling myself mm. about what's going on around me and so on? And so what are the conditions and what are the values that I am using to sort of sort and categorize uh, the different things that are coming at me? Okay. Mm. Um, so so it, was a, it was a good exercise for me because I was able to, to begin to think about sort of these internal conversations that, you know, unless you're paying attention, you're not really putting yourself in the position of sort of um, being objective with yourself, I suppose. Okay. Sort of object objectively analyzing where you are, where you've been, where you plan to go, that sort of a thing. Right. And, um, and so, and so, yeah, this, this is a personal project. Okay. But also, as I, as I began to sort of uncover some of the dynamics that I was discovering, I thought, hey, you know, this is, this is exciting for me. This is valuable for me. Um, I wonder if other people are also going through this, or maybe they already have these um, ground rules for engaging in their environment. Okay. So that's when I started to think, you know, if I really took this seriously, I could begin to have a lot more interesting conversations not only with myself, but thinking about architecture with my clients. Okay. So this draws into it sort of uh, uh, like a psychological uh, side of it. In other words, it, 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 I began to question how I had interacted with my clients in the past and how I thought about the design process and whose priorities were I putting at the, in terms of what, whose, whose priorities are most important? So be, now, be, now, you now begin to open, open up the language around, you know, stakeholders and so on. Mm -hmm. who, who has buy-in, who, mm -hmm. you know, and, and is, there, is there a necessary hierarchy of, of, of interests and so on? And so as soon as you entertain those sorts of conversations, then there, there's the political side of it that comes into it as well because different stakeholders are going to want to have a certain say in things and, mm -hmm. and depending on where you place yourself and as a designer, that's important to know too, uh, whose, whose needs are, uh, maybe do you have to put in front of your own needs and, and how do you come to that understanding in such a way that uh, everybody in the process feels respected and understood um, and also uh, you know not allowing yourself to be sort of marginalized or compromised uh, and so that your role in, 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 in the whole conversation with with complex projects as an example um, is clearly understood by yourself and others so that's kind of a roundabout way for me to um, to say all of that has, I can say, in, in, in parts and parcel, parcels, has brought me to where, we, where we're sitting today. Okay. And um, so the name of the podcast is called As We Speak. Okay. So, of course, I have my architecture training and design background. Um, but really, this is sort of an expl exploration around language on a fundamental level. 
how do we talk to ourselves? How do we talk to one another? And how do we have difficult conversations? How can we manage maybe challenging con conversations and maybe avoid conflict or, um, you know, have rules around maybe alternative, like ADR, alternative dispute res uh, resolution, um, rules of engagement, I guess mm -hmm. you could say. Mm -hmm. And so coming back around to this conversation around planning and community design, um, and like we were saying earlier, like this idea of like, not just looking at the house, but where does that building sit in, a, in the context? Mm -hmm. And then you have layers upon layer of like, multiple con contextual uh, arguments or, or angles that you can, mm -hmm. you can mm -hmm. come at these things from. Mm -hmm. So if, if, some of the, uh, if some of my enthusiasm came through on the, on, on the phone when we were talking yesterday, that's where it's coming from because okay. I'm re I, do, I do feel very enthusiastic about, about hearing from your perspective as a professional planner and, and you've had you know, a, a, a long career, uh, a, a rich career, You've seen so many things. You've encountered a lot of uh, a lot of um, uh, challenges and situations that have called on on your uh, on your need to develop professionally as well um, beyond a formal education. And so there is this mm -hmm. personal aspect of you know who is Hazel Christie and how does she choose to engage in 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 challenging situations. And how have you sort of brought yourself through uh, that process as well as a professional planner? Um, I think there's value on all of those levels. So between the personal and the professional as well. Um, and so I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Okay. And, um, and let's just see how the conversation unfolds. What you're describing is a planning process. And... Uh, you know, you can look at it through many lenses, but as a professional land use planner, that planning process, as I see it and as I work with it, has to do with communities and community development. But your thought of um, the dis the design process, you have clients, you have stakeholders, you have your own professional and aesthetic ability, you know, how does that blend together to produce a product that may not suit all needs, but is optimal in the needs that are met. And so when you were speaking of that as in an architectural project, that same process applies to communities and community development. And, um, you know, sometimes I think of, of planning and um, developing community goals and objectives as herding cats because Think of a community, you know, Kelowna, you know, over 100,000 people, or Vernon, or the whole Okanagan Valley, you know. How do we come to some kind of a consensus about 
where we need to go or what we need to do. And, you know, I think of it as herding cats. You're, you're not the first, I've only interviewed four people so far, <laughs> but you're not the first person to, to use that, that expression. Yeah, and that's your challenge. Because, you know, as a planner, I could go in a room and I could write you the best official community plan you ever saw, but... A piece of, a piece of art. And it would have all the correct professional approaches and it would, you know, but if nobody buys into it, it stays on the shelf and it is completely useless. Much better to have an official community plan that may not be, you know, in the purest sense, uh, you know, a, a outstanding planning document, but at least it's a plan that the majority of people can buy into and work towards. So it's hmm. not about the plan, usually. It's about the process which enables people to focus their energies together on some important priorities for the community mm -hmm. and you know and professional planners that's what they do they focus on uh, either working within an existing framework or working with others to develop a framework yeah and, but but what they bring to it is they can you know, they, they can um, uh, summarize and articulate the issues, they can bring uh, relevant information to the discussion so that people can uh, grasp mm -hmm. what, you know, what the issues are, what the alternatives are, what the downside is, if we don't go in this direction, you know, that then means we're going in that direction because always no decision is a decision. And you can arrive at a decision by default too. That's right. Might not be the one you were really looking for. Yes. So, yeah. so in terms of planning and communities and community change and development, the object of planning is to manage that change in a positive direction. Yes, and uh, and making sure, if I'm understanding you correctly, that you've got, I'm going to say, buy-in along the way. Yeah. So it's this constant. It's it in, uh, you know, it's this iterative process. Always, always, always. Like a, you've got different levels of. Um, uh, I guess you could say titration. You've got you've got short feedback loops, where you've got to sort of mm -hmm. drop little pebbles along the way. Mm -hmm. um, but then you've also got these larger. You've got to keep that big processes. picture. You've yeah. got to keep yeah. that big picture. You got to keep. Where are we headed? You have to yeah. keep asking yourself that question, and you know. That's what that's what planners do. And, and most of the discussion, and I'm, I'm going back in terms of, you know, community development, decisions that get made by community leaders, such as councils, a lot of that is how do I balance off the short term versus the long term, you know? 
mm-hmm. and and, and mo- mandates political mandates. Yeah, it's it, it's it's always about. Well, you know, I know I want to go here in the long term, but in the short term, you know, we have this issue or we have this problem or we have this thing that we need to do. So, mm-hmm. how how much does that affect where I'm trying to go in the long term? It's always short term versus long term. Yeah. So it's a, it's a lot of like yes, but balance. Balance. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and you can't please all the people all the time. You're not going to. Mm-hmm. But uh, are there any And everybody wants a silver bullet, right? Oh. No kidding. But are there any um, consensus items we can all agree on? Mm-hmm. You know? Weighing out the short term and the long term. Mm. And and you know, it's it's a process. Yeah. It's a process of discussion. It re- it reminds me of um, you know sometimes you you know you see you see the graphs uh, you know about climate change global mm. warming, and I think it's one and a half degrees that's always that mark that we've got to make sure that we stay somewhere below that, and then of course you they they outline it and they say okay best case scenario if we took let's say all the cars off the road or something like that as an example, then they would graph that and say this is what we could do. Um, and then they would graph, okay, but knowing, knowing with a little more of, of a realistic perspective on the mm-hmm. systems we, are, we currently have in place and the fact that it's going to take time, we can't just turn off the tap, let's say, overnight. Yeah, yeah. What is a realistic aim over time? Yeah. And, um, and, and so you get, you get sort of a, I guess you could say like a, a mid, middle of the road you get a third line that basically expresses mm-hmm. like, okay, here's where we're at now. Mm-hmm. We can look into the future. We can do some 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 really good quality work to mm-hmm. say, uh, again, what do we want? Mm-hmm. What have we got now? Mm-hmm. And how do we? What do we have to do to get there? What do we have to do to get there? And um, you know, to use uh, an example from. Um, uh, from another source, mm-hmm. um, and I'm, I might get the name wrong, so I'll just refrain from from quoting the source. But um, um, but the phrase backcasting, mm-hmm. slightly different. Uh, it's a slightly different mindset. It seemed like, but um, the phrase backcasting stands out for me. In other words, planning quite clearly what that future environment looks like. And then that imagining backwards. Imagine, in, imagine, mm-hmm. let's say, twenty years from now, mm-hmm. standing where we are now mm-hmm. today, mm-hmm. and then saying, "Okay, th- these are the conditions on the ground. This is what we have in place for all the different systems. What do we have to do to get to that?" Mm-hmm. No, as you say, it's very much iterative, and you're always, you know, going between the future and the present, and. Yeah. and you know, and like and in the cats. past, yeah. yeah. No, it it you know like any complex system, everything is always in a in a state of motion, state of flux. So nothing does stay the same. Yeah. But and you're always, you know, measuring and forecasting, and and discussing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, at least, you know, you hope you are discussing. You hope that. As a community, you're not just oblivious to what's out on the horizon there. 
Yeah, that sense of, um, I would say, mindfulness. Yeah, mindfulness. Yeah. And, and you know, sometimes, sometimes the issues are so front and center that you have to deal with those issues uh, because um, they're, they're very important to deal with now. And so, you, you know, again, you're going between short-term, long-term. And, and trying to keep everything in some kind of a balance. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we live and work in a democracy. And, you know, that's, that's very key. You know, people, everyone has a vote, everyone has a say. You know, everyone has an opinion that has value. But how do we get some kind of a consensus to to move forward to our, towards our goals. Yeah. And, f- and, and like you say, uh, you know, facilitating that conversation so that, you know, all those cats that make up the herd of cats, yeah. that they all feel like, oh, well, you know, so my opinion, it does matter. You know, someone's asking for my input here mm-hmm. um, so that those variables can be factored in. And then, and then like you say, as the planner, as the, the person sort of overseeing the, the whole conversation, um, uh, communicating in, in, a, in, a, in a sensible way, um, how that sorting process works. Yeah. So for instance, I'm going to say like, um, uh, let's say water usage as an example. Yeah. Where do we place that on the scale of needs or yeah. priorities? Yeah. Everybody would like to be at the front of the bus, you, you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe maybe a, a good place to sort of to direct the conversation would be, um, I'd like to actually know what your personal motivations were for actually entering the profession. I think that would be interesting. But, um, but staying more in line with, maybe you can relate it. Um, maybe you can weave that together. Um, but but my, my, my original thought would be over the over your the span of your career, have you seen a change? Is, has have you seen a change in terms of where uh, communities priorities uh, have been in the past versus where you see them going now? Not so much. No. No, not so much. Um, I got into planning. Uh, you know, there were there. Um, things are cyclical, and in the '70s, there was very much an environmental movement, right? Um, you know, the books that had come out, you know, Rachel Carson, um, you know, Diet for a Small Planet. We had the energy crisis in the early '70s. The o- you know OPEC was formed, you know the world was going to run out of oil. We needed to find alternative fuels. Uh, we had acid rain. We needed to deal with those things. We had it, it, huge in the seventies, and Greenpeace started. Yes, you know all all, all of those, those things. things. It was a it was a the space a program. flavor. Well, that was the sixties. That was the sixties. Yeah. 69 though that was man on the moon yeah right, right that was pretty seminal moment it you know but but you know 
the zeitgeist. Yeah, and and you know all of these things, uh, you know, and they they were environmental issues, and how on earth were we going to deal with all those things, right? Sometimes, you know, you make some progress on some fronts, but, um, you know, you still have more work to do on others. So here we are again, you know, how do we develop alternate fuels? How do we develop, you know, how do we, uh, you know, take care of our environment? Um, so uh, bringing that to communities, hmm. um, no. Uh, you know, as human beings living together in communities, we're always trying for the same things, you know? So, no. Can't, can't we all just get along? Can't we? <laughs> can't we? Can't we stop degrading our environment? Uh, you know, fouling our own nest? Can't we stop doing things like that? Even when we know? I mean, climate change. We were talking about that in the 70s. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. and and um, so I was thinking actually of naming the podcast since 1970 because that's the year that I was born, mm -hmm. and I and and I thought you know I I use Greenpeace as an example, but you you mentioned all those other major major, major things that major came things. on the scene and, in and the past 48 years. Yeah, population growth being oh, another one. Totally, but We've that's doubled the population on the planet. Yes, in my but life that was being talked about well before then you know mm -hmm. and 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 you know on the one hand you can say to yourself well um if those problems were easy we would have solved them by now but they're not they're challenging so we are still doing our best to solve those things but anyway that was kind of the background where i went into planning and because you want to you know as a as a young person well, you must have felt like we are right, you know, we can we, make a change. As a young person, yeah. you want to make a difference. You know, you want to make a difference. You see things and you want to make a difference in whatever, you know, field or with whatever skills that you are given. Yeah. And so for me, you know, I went into planning because it seemed like a practical way to deal with things that interested me. Mm -hmm. So. And so here we are again today. And if we think back, do you have a general sense um, of optimism? Or how would you describe it? There's different, different ways you could describe it, you could say. You know some of the words you could use I'm just making some suggestions but you could say optimism or pessimism some people would say well um, you know cynicism or realism you know or I'm a practical minded person you know there's different ways that sort of we can describe these things and you know you're, you're free to comment however you like but I wonder if um, I'm going to use the millennial generation as an example. And I, I could be wrong. Um, and like you say, things go in cycles. Mm -hmm. but I, and I suppose in every society there's a cross-section of, uh, of, of the generation. 
you're going to have you're going to have optimists, you're going to have pessimists, and so on in the mix. Um, but one thing I think we can all agree on is that we're going to we're we're going to move forward. We're going to do it together. Um, and and it, I think at the end of the the day, it comes down to a question of leadership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So who's who's going to who's going to step in? And there's some very interesting things I think that are happening at the same time right now. Things, tools, for instance, that are available now, like uh, with technology, that mm-hmm. I think we place a lot of hope on 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 technical systems um, to sort of mitigate or 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 get around some of the some of some of the problems that were. Uh, maybe unsolvable in the past. There's there's different different approaches. Mm-hmm. Access to information is another one. Mm-hmm. We see a lot of political disruption, uh, cultural disruption happening as well too. And so the way we're choosing to sort of shape our our communities, um, you know, I think, uh, uh, you know, would you agree that we're 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 entering a new sort of uh, uh, epoch? Uh, like a new era, uh, maybe similar to let's say if we use 1970 as, a, as something in the past, where where we're saying here's another set of challenges and opportunities for the future. Who, what, if you, if if I could rephrase this another way, what mm-hmm. advice would you give to Hazel Christie just coming out of school? If if you could go back and say, okay, okay so is hey, that hey. the question you want me to answer? Because you you <laughs> I put a you've few come out, out a dozen <laughs> yeah, questions. So okay. what question do you want me to start with? <laughs> Which was I will it, say, yeah. In answer to your first question, I will say planners are optimists because you have to believe that you can make a difference, that planning can make a difference. Planners believe that tomorrow can be better than today. Planners are optimists, and planners believe that even the littlest step toward the goal is better than no step. Planners are optimists. And um, so, you know, I think that that's fundamental. Number one. Number one. And every single planner I have met has been passionate about what they do and how they do it and how they are trying to make a difference. Um, young planners, older planners, you know, as, as president of the Canadian Institute of Planners, you know, I represented, you know, 6,800 professional planners across the country and I met planners all across the country, planners from the States, planners from Europe and England, Planners are optimists. They are passionate about they, what they do. They think it's important, it matters, and that it is possible to make a difference. So, that's so that, number one. I think so. Change yes. is possible. Change is inevitable. Because, yes, change is inevitable. But do you want to default into something? Or do you want to try and move towards something? that seems positive mm-hmm. right right so having said that um you also asked um what's the difference between youth and age <laughs> and in terms of what perspective 
would a person have uh, in their early days of their career versus the perspective that they have in the later stages of their career. And I would say that um, when you first you know, graduate from university, when you're first exposed to all these knowledges and influences, I would say that there is a tendency to see things as black or white. And then as you uh, get older and get knocked around a little bit and you come up against people that are not the same as you and don't think the same as you, you start to realize that it isn't so much black and white as shades of gray that we're working with. And you start to realize that um, it, you, you start to temper your expectations. And, you know, instead of going for, you know, 100% of what you think, you might be okay to, you know, go with 75%. You might think, oh, well, that's a win. And so that would be the difference, I would say, between somebody starting out and somebody who'd been beat around a bit by reality. Mm -hmm. But you're still, you hope, moving toward where you want to go. Yes, as a community. Yes. As a community, always as a community. Yeah. 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 You hope. You hope, yeah. You know, another interesting thing um, that I would say we've seen uh, since, let's say, we're going to say 1970, using that sort of as a benchmark, mm -hmm. is, you know, particularly in, 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 this, in the United States, um, a, a sense of, like, peop Americans talk a lot about how different things, uh, big events like the Vietnam War or Richard Nixon, uh, Watergate, and so mm -hmm. on, how those really sort of they talk about it like it like it threw it threw a bucket bucket of water on things, like it. I think yeah, well, they yeah. were very big. Yeah, big. They were very big influences. You mm -hmm. know, how could they not? Yeah. You know. And I, I don't know if you could make an argument for where we're at today in terms of in terms of what's happening in the United States politically, but um, there does seem to be like a reemergence of uh, like an unleashing of a lot of almost pent up energy, especially in in sort of the younger generations now, where they're like, we've got to take control over our you know, political destiny in a sense. You see a lot more, um, at least it's in my perception, um, political activism. I No, I, I would disagree with that. I would disagree with okay. a lot with that. And I would say that um, there's al it's always been there. It's always been there. Come on, think back to the 60s. Think back to the demonstrations on the Vietnam War. Think back to you know, what's changed? You know, there's always people that that see and feel that they need, you know, there's, there's a wrong that needs to be righted or there's a direction that we need to head because the alternative we are not going to like. Um, always, you know. You made a comment earlier about... Um, do you think there's a difference now? We have more technology 
do you think that, uh, that this will help us? Um, I think that we, as human beings, always use the tools that we have to the extent that we can. And uh, we might have a lot more technology, but is it helping us? I don't know. I mean, we, you know, artificial intelligence is doing a lot of things that we as humans might not think is, is so good. You know, we, we, we always have to be human. Um, we have a lot of technology. You know, we, we spend a lot of time on our phones Googling things and, you know, the people are interfering with elections. I mean, yes, we have a lot of technology and it's up to us as humans to sift through and to make rational judgments about, well, is this a good thing or not? I mean, it will always fall to us as humans to make the final judgment deal with technology rather than technology dealing with us as we see you know every day on your computer you know facebook sends you ads that it thinks you might like i always find that they come be mindful yeah yeah you know i i find those ads they come uh too late do you know what I mean? Well, because uh, you know, I don't know how you've experienced it, but I'll 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 have an idea to go. You know, if I have a need, I'll go and buy the thing. Let's yeah, say, yeah. I'll bring it home, and, and then, then I'll see an ad for it I the know. next day. I'm like, I'm, yeah. but I already got that thing. You know, like yeah, I know. Well, I don't do Facebook. Well, that's good. I I I am distrustful of technology. I I use it very sparingly. Hmm. I am distrustful of. Um, you know how people might be influencing me yeah and uh, I, I I would like to make my own choices and do my own homework and you know but like most things you know it's a blend yeah. use what's valuable and try not to get drawn by what isn't mm -hmm. but um, yes Technology is helping scientists develop things that will solve some of these uh, uh, intrinsic problems that we're facing. So it's not all bad. It's not. It's not. Yeah, and and maybe that's the that's the thing. I you know and when I was uh, studying architecture, uh huh, we learned still on drafting tables. Yeah. By hand. Yeah. And but towards the end of my education, computers were coming on stream. Yes. So it was a very big deal, you know, that we had a, a computer lab. Yeah. And I you know. know, at that time, Apple supplied Auto all the computers. Yeah, yeah, I had one of those. Yeah. You know, I had one of those little Apple things. Yeah. And at that time, it was stressed to us that it's just a tool. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. It's just another tool. Mm -hmm. And in fact, there was a there was a lot of people you know, cautioning us to, to, you know, pay attention to what, to what matters. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I mean, that's, that was why that was sage advice, you could mm -hmm. say, because mm -hmm. what happened was, you know, there was this, there was this program that came out that now everyone uses called, uh, 
Well, at the time, uh, it was called Corral Draw. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And then, of course, Adobe came, and, and yeah. they came along with, um, I guess it would have been like Illustrator as yeah. an example. But that whole, the, the fact that you could now choose, uh, like the, the whole Pantone uh, selection of sh shades and different gradients and different mm -hmm. families of colors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, uh, and then pretty soon, you know, you know, and then these things all take time mm -hmm. to come out into the built environment. Mm -hmm. But eventually you'd see buildings and you're like, am I looking at a building right now? Or am I looking at a, like a two dimensional elevation drawing mm -hmm. and, oh, that's Pantone, you know, 107 C or something mm -hmm, like mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, that's when the coin drops. You're like, oh, that's really what they were talking about is like, you know, this uh, almost like you're, you're acceding control mm -hmm. to a set of tools or, you know, resources, for instance, and, uh, and not really um, owning a certain domain for a, cer for a particular purpose. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's what's interesting to me about your comment. Yeah, so I mean, so using technology, we can do a lot of things faster. We can do a lot of things to a higher standard. So for example, you know, um, uh, computer-generated computer map and accuracy versus, you know, beautiful printing i mean we went from hand scripting to letter set yeah, to set, now yeah. we're you know we're now <laughs> we're doing you know fonts and you know so so yes maybe our maps look better there's a higher graphic standard because we can mm -hmm. are they different are they conveying any different information um so you know as you say who is the driver yeah. always you know always the community mm -hmm. not the technology yeah yeah I mean I can go back I can go back to some of the work I did uh, as a planner in the late 70s um, you know my husband and I had our own firm up in northern Alberta and we were preparing subdivision plans and we were you know we were doing things um, on a typewriter <laughs> Uh, you know, and uh, the technology was different, but were we doing anything much different? The, the graphics are a lot slicker now, yeah. but are we, you know, the subject matter's not really any different. Yeah, the felt experience, it's still coming through our five senses. Mm -hmm. You know, the technology has changed. It's slicker. It's slicker. It different? We've still got the same biological system. Yeah. The same input-output yes. rates that we've still, always had. This, you know, um, the types of goals, if you like, the community goals that, uh, yeah. I guess, reflect our humanness. Safety rather, being one of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Health. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. So what's changed? Looks different, but is it the same old? So we're talking back again about yeah. cycles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cycles, the cy cycles of change. So don't get fooled by technology yeah. and slickness. Yeah. Always ask, you yeah. know, what what are we trying to do here? 
Yeah. What 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 is what is this about, and what are we trying to do, and, mm-hmm. and what are we trying to achieve, and does it relate to what we thought we were trying to achieve? And technology is very good at muddying up those questions. Hmm. Well, we I think this is a great segue into sort of more of these qualitative aspects of experience. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, um, who was it? Um, the Tao Te Ching with the Lao Tzu, the quotation, uh, you know, the, the book of a lot of wi- wisdom quotes, you could say. And one of them was, do you have the patience to wait until the, the water settles, till the, till the mud clears out of, out of the, the water that you're standing in, until you can see clearly again. Let the sediment, let all those things mm-hmm. settle down. Before you actually make a uh, make a decision as to where do I stand, mm-hmm. what's the situation I'm facing, really, really, and I think technology does have an effect of because of the rapidity of information that comes mm-hmm. at us so quick. There is a bit of a compression of time and mm-hmm. a, a, a compression and a need to change, pressure mm-hmm. to change. Mm-hmm pressure to move from your position mm-hmm. and um, so you know I, I, I read a, an article just in the last couple of days I found interesting which was uh, it's written by a, a, a professor in management from Yale mm-hmm. and he would he he made a very simple comment and it was that you know yes we have all these things coming on stream um, but perhaps what's most important is a sense of um, ethics. Mm. Yeah. And you may have science, and you may have technology, yeah. and you may have but all these things. But what's the underlying, what's the backbone? And he, was, he, he made a, a, a very salient argument, you could say, about the need for li- the, the value of the humanities, yes. the liberal arts. Yes. Do we really understand where we're going? Can we talk about that? Yes, and that—that that is what's got to drive it. You know, I mean, yes, there's a lot of information coming. You know, huge amounts of information, but you have to make a decision um, about what's relevant. Uh, do I study the problem forever, or do I need to make a decision now? And, you know, I don't think artificial intelligence is going to give you those answers. And, and what you're saying is, you know, some kind of a moral compass to measure things by is what is going to uh, direct you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's what your professor was saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, there, that, that... There's got to be something. I don't think artificial intelligence is going to supply that. Right? Yeah, you, I, 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 I agree with you. I'm not too sure about that. But, you know, there are, there are voices out there. Um, one of them, I think Sam Harris would be one of them, um, where he's, he's suggesting like, that we, we, we do need to at least make an attempt to see if technology and science has more to say on the subject. Yes. Since yes. if we look back, we're not just winging it. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. But at some point in time, 
you have to decide. Hmm. Now, depending who you're talking to, that again, that time that time horizon changes. Yes, it does. Right. So if if you belong to let's say uh, if you're a Zoroastrian, for example, and if you're using you know uh, a three or four thousand year old belief system to mm -hmm. to order your 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 moral environment, mm -hmm. you're you're going to have a different approach to when it's important to make a final decision mm -hmm. or a final choice on things, mm -hmm. as opposed to someone who's used to. I'm just going to use the example of like um, uh, financial markets mm -hmm. where you see mm -hmm. uh, multiple trades happening within fractions of a second. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, now, that's not necessarily a, a moral condition, but it's just a, a different perception different time of time. Scales. So your analogy yeah. of waiting for the sediment to clear and having patience and, um, you know, waiting until you can see, um, you know, it, it uh, relies on the luxury of time because if you were being chased by something you wouldn't be standing still waiting for some sediment to clear so it is all about the luxury of time and the short term versus the long term mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. you'd be saying that's good enough let's get out of here that's right so yeah. again short term versus long term the luxury of time do you have it no do you need to make that decision now? And is it better to make the decision than no decision and potentially default into something? And those are things you have to weigh out with the best knowledge that you can muster at the time. Mm -hmm. Right? Again, a, quali a qualitative yeah. choice. Yeah. And, you know, in, in my own professional uh, environment, you know, it's about communities, and it's about time horizons for communities. And communities will be here longer than we are, you know? I mean, you know, the communities in the Okanagan Valley have passed their 100-year mark, right? And, and, you know, things that were done 100 years ago, you know, we're living with now. and. You know, communities will be here longer than we will be here. Um, so the long term is very important mm -hmm. because the decisions we make now matter, right? And and uh, we need to keep that long term perspective. Do you think? Do you think uh, we should we should we be having those conversations in terms of? Uh, uh, where do we want to be a hundred oh, yes. years from oh, now? Oh, yes. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And, you know, in, in terms of transportation planning and road planning, yes, you need that hundred-year conversation. I mean, for two reasons. First being, roads don't change that much. A lot of the roads, again, that you will see in the Okanagan Valley started out as game trails <laughs> and then they were cart tracks and then they were and now they're roads like roads don't change that much the roman roads in england are still used you know they're now the the highway system so roads don't change that much so that's for starters but then the other thing is is um 
um, it roads matter because um, and the time horizon matters because if you wanted to have a road to go in a different direction you should have thought of that before somebody started building right in the middle of it you mm -hmm. see what i'm saying yeah so, i do and particularly in the okanagan oh yeah so then that's just, just an example about long term versus short term because in the short term what's the problem with putting that building there but in the long term geez you know that was the that was where we should have had that connection But what else did I want to say? I wanted to say something else about short-term versus long-term. Oh, about communities. Communities are very organic. Communities grow in a very organic way. Communities are like a tree. And they will last, you know, hundreds of years. And if you make a mistake, or if you, if a tree has a wound on it, it doesn't kill the tree. And if you make a bad planning mistake, it doesn't kill the community. But it is, it is something that then the community has to grow around that scar, if you like, and the community has to absorb that. So in this, if you, you know, chop, mm. if you chop a branch off a tree, yes, it's a wound. And, you know, years from now, you'll see how the tree grew around that and kept growing. If you do something that's a little off in a community, you'll see it. It might take 30, 40 years to grow around that, but the community will. So, so to you, to put it in, uh, for for an example, for instance, um, if you look at um, the way cities were organized, going back to the seventies again, mm -hmm. uh, about how certain uh, communities or uh, racial groups were encouraged to settle in certain areas. So there was there was almost like a ghettoization of like that would be, for instance, in the in, in American cities, you know, the projects. Mm -hmm where that's where social housing went. Mm, yes. And um, whereas in today's conversation, um, the, the question about how to design and plan for, for innovative housing is, is, is very different. Yeah. You have to, you know, you have to think of, of cities as living organisms. And, and they, they grow and they evolve and they change and they adapt to whatever, you know, stimulus they have to adapt to. Mm -hmm. And um, they, they evolve. They evolve. And, um, you know, thinking of Toronto. Um, Cabbage Town in Toronto. That's where all the new immigrants settled. Okay? And uh, for years and years, and, and you know, my husband's family came over from Europe just after the First World War, and that's where they lived. Sackville Street, 
in Cabbage Town in Toronto. And they were, they were you know, the, the tenement types of, of row housing. And uh, the uh, immigrants were not well thought of. Um, but guess what? Times change. Cities evolve. You know, his grandparents lived in Cabbage Town because they were just off the boat. But his parents wanted to get away from that. They moved to Don Mills, which was a brand new subdivision. You know, the first subdivision of its kind in Canada, planned by Thomas Adams. And so his parents moved to Don Mills. And, but what happened in the meantime, things changed and Cabbage Town evolved. It became gentrified in the 70s. All of a sudden, you know, people, you know, got tired of driving from the suburbs or people felt that the suburbs were too sterile. They wanted to be downtown again. And there was a big movement in Cabbage Town. All of a sudden, you know, um, land prices were going up. These old tenement houses were getting redone. And, you know, so communities are very organic and they grow and they change and they respond. They respond to market forces, human forces, political forces, you know, economic forces, you know, global immigration trends, if you like, Cultur right? Cultural forces yeah. as well. Communities are not just bricks and mortar, static. They grow, they change, they evolve, uh, they recover from what some might have called a, a bad planning mistake, you know? And, and, and Kelowna being, uh, like you say, a young, a young community, um, we're entering a, a, a phase here, and I've only lived in the Okanagan for four years, mm -hmm. so, um, but there's a lot of talk about where, we're all, where will our community be mm. 5, 10, 20, 30 years yes. from now. What, what are, just so I and, and listeners have a better understanding, mm -hmm. uh, what, what happens at the planning level, maybe that the general public um, maybe doesn't appreciate or have a full understanding of? Um, and, 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 and again, if, if, you, if, if we took this opportunity as, uh, as a chance for you to convey some information maybe it maybe maybe as a way to um, uh, and again understanding that communities are organic places um, are there ways that we can uh, sort of incentivize citizens to to feel a, a sense of ownership and a sense of place um, and are there ways for 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 people in the community um, perhaps to, to to get involved and have more of a say, uh, a, a sort of a democratization, I guess, of, of planning. Is that how it works? Or maybe you could just explain how 
how how how how that whole uh, process actually comes to comes into being you know considering that there are a lot of forces at play market forces yeah. being one of them Again, you've asked a dozen questions. Oh, did I? Yes. I thought that was one. No, you've you've asked a dozen questions and there's so much that I want to respond. And I think what I want to say first is you need a sense of history. Like when you look at a community, it helps to understand why things are the way they are. And uh, when I first came to Kelowna as a planner from Edmonton, Alberta, and um, I, came, I came for career. I didn't come because Kelowna was a nice place. I, I came for a promotion. Um, and I, I, I was, uh, and I was, looking around Kelowna and I was like, wow, they sure need planners in this town. And, uh, you know, pretty arrogant of a, for a young person. Well, you saw opportunity. And, I, and I'm like, wow, you know, look at these roads that just dead end. And that was before I learned about the agricultural land reserve. I'm like, oh, there's a reason for that. You know, like, look at this leapfrog development, you know. We certainly don't do that where I come from. What's leap? What's leapfrog? Leapfrog development is is when you have a, a, a core of a community, and then um, you develop another s- subdivision or development or community, you know, a mile or two out, and you you have to build roads and you have to extend services and like. Why did you leapfrog? Why didn't you just develop in a contiguous, logical manner? And, you know, the, the person, you know, um, planning does not like leapfrog development, right? Okay. It's logical and economical to develop in a nice, contiguous manner. You extend your services, you don't have a mile of services that nobody feeds into right so like so why do we have this leapfrog development oh the ALR oh we can't develop on that mile and a half of pasture so we have to extend and leapfrog and and so it's always it's always wise to try and understand why is this the way it is or how did that get there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, there's usually a reason. And, and did you discover what that reason pretty was? Pretty darn quick. Pretty, re- pretty, pretty darn quick. quick. Yeah. Uh, oh, the land reserve. Probably in my first week, <laughs> I learned that. And, 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 and the fact that um, there's a lot of really good agricultural land in the Okanagan Valley is important. And if we didn't have the agricultural land reserve, probably all that fertile land would be paved over right now. So, so that's an important choice that the people of British Columbia made in the 70s, you know? And that has influenced a lot of things that you will see all over British Columbia, but especially 
in the Okanagan Valley. Okay. There's voices on both sides of the ALR. Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. Yeah. But, but, you know, every time you make a choice, there's choices that you didn't make, right? Mm-hmm. You chose one thing because it seemed more important than those other things. Well, so do you have and an opinion on... And that's just one example. Yeah, that's I'm, one example. But that's one yeah. example. And what I wanted to say with that was... Um, it's really important to understand and to go back in history and say, and to think, well, what, you know, why is that like that? How did that come to be like that? And, and if that's the case, you know, what should we do now to achieve those things which are important to us now, you know? Again, so uh, uh, get the, the qualitative yeah, uh, yeah. choices that went yeah. into yeah, yeah. and, the, and yeah. the value. What were they thinking then? Why is that like that? Let's take another example from Kelowna. Compare Kelowna um, to Penticton, okay? And there's a lot of um, private lots that have waterfront in Kelowna. And uh, there's... Um, there's no continuous uh, beach or, you know, like you see in Penticton on the south end of the Okanagan, mm-hmm. it, right? So, um, back in the day, mm-hmm. you know, those lots were created in that fashion and it wasn't felt important to have any kind of continuous access to the water, right? Mm-hmm. Penticton did it differently, right? So what do we do about that now? And like I say, communities are organic. You know, the choices that people made years ago can still be modified in today's world, in today's discussion. So what is Kelowna doing? They're acquiring waterfront. This will be a long-term project, but cities will be here well after you and I aren't. And so they will probably achieve that goal over that long term. So, you know, like a tree, you know, something that you did 50 or 100 years ago, um, communities will grow and absorb and adapt to that. Right? Yeah. Uh, and so, so standing where we are today, knowing that, Demographics are changing in the community. Um, we've got uh, large industry, uh, when I say large industry, but large sectors of the economy, including technology, uh, education with the university here is playing mm-hmm. a bigger mm-hmm. role in the economy and the culture mm-hmm. uh, and the demographics. Um, so that's just to name two of them. Uh, what what do you see happening now on the on the planning level uh, that you would say, yes, that's, this is good. This is a good thing. We're moving in, in, in good directions. We're making good choices in terms of, uh, you know, the choices that are available to us. I'm seeing that I'm seeing that Kelowna is evolving and, you know, I came here in 92. Okay. And when I came, 
in 92 from Edmonton. Edmonton uh, is, a, is a very, um, very uh, uh, rich in arts and culture. Edmonton, the Fringe Festival, the, you know, they have their own ballet, opera, symphony, music, plays. Uh, you know, Edmonton is a very rich cultural place. And, and a lot of the prairie cities are because of that winter. You have to do something in winter. Right, Winnipeg. Also, Winnipeg is wonderful. Oh, Winnipeg is absolutely wonderful in terms of those cultural amenities. The Winnipeg Ballet, you know, it's it's exceptional. And so I came to Kelowna, and you know, Kelowna was a, you know, um, I wondered what do people do here. You know, they walk their dogs, they, they jog, <laughs> you know, and I, and I really wondered. And, and it, it, you know, in the time that I have been in Kelowna, you know, I've helped to build the cultural district. I've helped to, you know, build that arts and cultural thing. And a lot of it was here already, but you had to really look and you know we got the rotary center for the arts we got prosper a place we got you know a lot of we we got what i used to think of as the community's living room right mm -hmm. and 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 um i guess so so back to your question um you know i see that Kelowna is evolving and when I worked for the city of Kelowna, I used to think Kelowna is becoming the place that I want to live. Mm. And, you know, and, and as a planner, and remember mm. I said planners are very passionate about what they do, you know, this was all very important to me. So in answer to your question, I see that Kelowna is evolving. And in those days, um, the demographics were skewed in the favor of senior citizens, and um, the economy was skewed. And, and what I do see is we're getting more diversity and more diverse ages and more employment for people, younger people, and, and more balance as the city grows. Mm -hmm. so, so that's good. Yeah, that is good, and and it, and, it, and it reinforces your point that we have to make choices today that uh, we trust will come to full fruition at some point in the future. Yeah. Um, you know, not I like to say, uh, you know, don't, don't necessarily try to control outcomes, but take responsibility for the tools and, and actions you can take in in, in more of the yeah. immediate keep and your, short term. You know, keep your have your vision. Mm -hmm. What is your vision? Yeah. What what do you what do you want to become, and measure things against that. Mm -hmm. And in in earlier days, um, you know, we talked about diversifying and and um, attracting technology firms, and you know, a, and a lot of time and effort was spent 
you know, to try and do that. And you're seeing some success now. Uh, again, a lot of time and effort was spent to try and develop our, our cultural district. And you're seeing some success now. And, um, you know, in a lot of sectors, you know, it was first thought of, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And, and you're seeing some success now. And, and you know, and, and back to our conversation about, you know, a young person versus an old person, you know. Um, sometimes, and short-term versus long-term, you know, sometimes you can sit through a long council meeting or a long public hearing, and sometimes you can think, oh you know nothing is happening nothing is moving forward but then when you look back you see how far you've come mm. so there's a sense of uh yeah having a vision yes uh, having a plan yes creating an actual geographic sort of uh yeah, it, center of gravity you could say yeah. uh you know like you say having here's a cultural to hub. measure yourself by and measuring it having absolutely. a vision to yeah. measure yourself by does this get us closer to what we want because mm -hmm. what we wanted in those days mm -hmm. was we wanted um, you know places that young people could work mm -hmm. you know that they could stay in the Okanagan Valley and they didn't all have to leave for the lower mainland you know and what we wanted were, were um, to diversify our economy um, in those days and, and we're talking the early 2000s um, we're talking about Kelowna being known for beaches and peaches and trying to move beyond that and diversify um, you know some of some of the long-standing types of industry have have kind of you know faded out and become less important but some of the types of things we wanted to attract to Kelowna are now actually happening. And, and a big part of that, getting back to the, uh, uh, the leadership mm -hmm. component being, and being open culturally to mm. what's going on in other parts of the country, other parts of the world. Mm. So we're actually working with the best information. Well, yeah, because, you know, community communities have a lot in common with each other you know you say to yourself you know this isn't really rocket science you know we should be able to learn from other communities successes and other communities mistakes but at the same time communities should know who they are and mm. what makes them special right yeah well then that communities close. should have a sense of identity and, and what I sometimes see is communities that want to be the same as everybody else. And that, oh, we want to attract the big box, or oh, we want to, you know, communities mm. should know who they are and what makes them special and why people want to come there because they never want to lose that, do they? Right? True, yeah. And That's communities should have a sense of self identity right. uh, not to sell themselves right mm -hmm. because 
if they lose what attracts people there, they'll be just the same as everybody else. Mm -hmm. So, yes, you know, you learn from other people's successes and failures, but you don't forget who you are, where you came from, and mm. what is important to your vision as a community. I think that's, I think that's, uh, that, that's really great. Like you can't, you can't sell yourself cheap to a developer or to the next person that has a great idea. Yeah. It has to fit with your vision of who you are and where you want to be. I think that's really key. And, and I think that, you know, and again, that reinforces this idea of, I'm thinking about from on the transportation perspective, mm -hmm. when we build uh, density mm. and we're able to uh, have walkable communities, we're spending less time alone in our cars and more time with opportunities to have, you know, like in this case, experiences, a long, experiences yes. and in this case, like a long form conversation, we can mm -hmm. actually unpack complex mm -hmm. concepts. Yeah. Um, yes, it does reinforce a sense of community uh, and, and, and it reinforces, I think, the agency of the individual who gains a, a sense of self-understanding of where they where they fit into mm -hmm. their community. Yeah, yeah. That's very, very important. And, um, you know, some, some of the things I see are we're forgetting that. I mean, when did real estate become a commodity and not somebody's home? When did we start building houses and subdivisions for investors rather for people when did we start you know like who are we as a community and what do we want what are our goals what are our aspirations what is our vision you know i mean it's a lot when you're building a house for a investor it's a lot different than are we making livable communities that people actually want to be there? Mm. Or are they just there because they have to be and that's all they can afford and they're looking forward to when they can move? That's, uh, that is, you know, you've, that's you've, a, you've that's just a opened very up fundamental a whole question. ball of wax. Listen, yeah. oh yeah, I have a lot of opinions. <laughs> I told you this before. I told you this before. Well, and 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 I know this is this is this is really great stuff because um, you know I what what that brings to mind for me is this this back to this I uh, the importance of cultural identity. Yeah. Who are we and what do Who we want? Who are we? What do we as want? A, as a collective. As a collective. Yeah. And what decisions are being made? Like you said earlier, don't sell yourself cheap. No. Don't because cheap. if people want to be here, they want to be here for a reason. So don't be, you know, killing that golden goose, <laughs> the, you know. Mm -hmm. But but I but I but I want to you know, uh, I want I want to say something else too. Um, my husband and I are old movie fans. Okay, we love to watch the movies from the '30s and the '40s. 
We love that era in Hollywood. That was a golden era. That back Hollywood. then they would have called it cinema. Yeah. And 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 um all I can think of and, and I have been to Los Angeles and I have been to Hollywood and I have been to all those places. And all I can think of is what a beautiful place this must have been, right? When you look at the movies from the 30s and the 40s and when you think of the Hollywood of the 30s and the 40s, they had olive groves, uh, orange groves, they had lemon groves. It was an agricultural area. They, it, it was a paradise. The movie stars came out from New York where everything was cold and gray and bleak and you know, people lived you know, in tenements. There were tenements that were, you know, and they came out to Hollywood and like, it was a paradise. And when you go to Los Angeles and when you go to Hollywood, your overwhelming thought will be, what a beautiful place this must have been. And when I come back to the Okanagan Valley, I'm like, I hope we're not saying that 100 years, 50 years from now, 100 years from now. What a beautiful place this must have been. Well, you know, that and, you, and you're painting another and wonderful as a planner picture here. That's huge. Like yeah. that's huge. Yeah. And it, it goes back to yeah. who are we? Mm -hmm. What is our vision? Mm -hmm. What is important to us mm -hmm. as a community? Mm -hmm. Where are we going to achieve that vision? And I hope we're not going to default to some alternative future. So let's take the best we've got. Um, and, you know, Hollywood's a great example because, uh, you know, so much of the world is influenced from the culture uh, yeah. that was invested in, yeah. in Hollywood. But, and there's a great use of technology of exporting or that yes, demonstrates the yes. value of... Uh, and you're, you're talking now about technology. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about the physical. Yeah. And, and how, how do those work together? Uh, so are you making a value judgment on, on let's say, the ALR? I mean, like yeah, you said, like no. we're, they don't make any more land. No, no. So we need to use it wisely. Mm -hmm. And we need to think. And we mm -hmm. need to think a hundred years from now. Mm -hmm. And just because it seems expedient to do this particular thing, mm -hmm. we need to think about it. And we think we need to, again, weigh out short term and long term. And maybe, you know, it, it's okay. That's, a, that's an okay thing mm -hmm. for the short term. And that won't affect our long term vision. On the other hand, maybe putting that there is going to affect something in the long term. So we need to be mindful mm -hmm. of how we make our decisions as a community. And again, you know, my profession has to do with land use. So that's what I come back to, right? So where do you, 
you see, uh, like, where is some of the best thinking right now on, on, on how to use what we've got right now? Because, you know, a, the, theme, the theme for the conversations we're having right now is sustainability and mental health. Mm. And so if, 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 if I'm paying attention, you're, you're painting a, a, a picture uh, multiple levels, multiple layers mm -hmm. here. And, but one of them is about knowing what you've got, mm -hmm. understanding the tools at hand to shape your environment, mm -hmm. making conscious decisions as a community about what we want to do and where we want to do yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, and so the word that's coming to mind is accretion. Mm -hmm. You're trying to gather sort of, you're kind of trying to mm -hmm. get like that, mm -hmm. A critical ma mm. a critical mass uh, together, so that and then using that time scale idea, then where do we want to mm -hmm. be twenty thirty years from now? What is the best thinking right now? If the ALR, a lot of people would consider it to be sort of an outdated or outmoded or or doesn't really have a purpose any longer. How is food outdated? Well, if. if, <laughs> if how is food outdated? How is healthy food outdated? And I and I wouldn't disagree, you know, per se, but uh, how is locally grown healthy food outdated? But how do you make it economically viable? Not to say that economics won't change, uh, and and they can change, and and you know, climate change is actually going to be a big, mm -hmm. a, a big contributing factor to some of these things. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, pre, you know, I mean, looking a hundred years from now, you know, do you think we'll be getting blueberries from Chile? You know, I mean, if, if, if we're so concerned about fossil fuels and transportation costs, I mean, do you think we'll be getting, you know, green apples from South Africa? I mean, and buying them at Costco? I mean... That's always confusing to me. Yeah. You know, potatoes from... Uh, yeah. The Okanagan, or right next to it, potatoes from yeah. Idaho, for and, example. And, and yes, we can do that right now, because mm -hmm. things are artificially skewed. And there are you know, subsidies that go into the transportation and you know, that whole. Mm -hmm. But, but uh, you know, where do you think we might be 100 years from now? And would we ever want to give up on our growing uh, medium? Once you pave soil, you, you aren't getting it back. Now you can't lift that pavement out and reclaim it. Um. Probably not. I guess you're going to build a greenhouse on it. And you know maybe that's where the future's going. But uh, you know I don't think the ALR is at all outdated. And and I and and again I think that's one of the. Um, you know, one of the things that makes this valley what it is, right? Yeah, part, part of the identity. Yeah, and and the economics will look after itself. And but they're often the loudest uh, voice at the table. Yeah, well, so you know, what's your long-term vision for this valley? And how does that measure against your long-term vision? That's the question 
you have to ask yourself over and over again. And, and you know, what that long-term vision is, you know, probably depends on, you know, who you're talking to, who's in the room. But, you know, communities will be here long after we're not. And so think about that. I am. You know, <laughs> You're making me think a lot today. You know, yeah, yeah. Well, this, this is what I do. Mm. And, um, you know, are people going to say, like, like I do for Hollywood, what a wonderful place this must have been. Uh, and you look now and you're like, wow. You know? What do you think to some of the mistakes? Uh... Too many roads. Mm. Too much sprawl. And now let's get on the topic of sprawl because that's, because you kind of alluded to that earlier. And I wanted to mention that. I mean, yes, um, we have, you know, you talked about community and, and getting people, you know, as part of a community. And, and back to the point of you have to make communities livable. Why do people want to live in some sprawling neighborhood and get in their car and, and drive? Because they see that as more livable than a community where everyone's so close together and you've developed so dense that you don't have privacy from your neighbor. And, and you know, you have to create communities that are livable. And if you do that, people will make choices. And they will make the choices that will, will lead in the right direction. But you have to create those communities that are livable. I used, to, I used to live in downtown Kelowna. I did that planner thing. I sold my big house in the suburbs. My kids left home. I sold my big house in the suburbs and I lived in a high-rise right downtown and I used to have conversations with the mayor and council at the time and um, you know they wanted you know they had these big you know they, they were focused on economic development so they had um, oh, the, the boats the, the uh, like a ferry? No, no, the cigarette boats, the boat racing. Oh, okay. Okay, what do you yeah. call those big boats? Well, thunderboats, thunderboats, or thunderboat racing. Okay. And they used they had that for a few years in a row, and then they used to have they had uh, Wakefest and they had all these things, you know, and and downtown was not livable, you know, because it, of the noise. It was horrible. Like people that I knew used to leave for the long weekend. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I would have conversations with mayor and council at the time. And I would say, you know, you're, you know, firstly, where do you live? And they all lived out in the suburbs, right? They didn't live downtown. And, and I said, you know, you're talking about all this economic development that you're bringing in for this festival. I said, but what you're not measuring are the people that are leaving town because you've made it unlivable. And I, and I would tell them, 
you know, as planners, we want people to live downtown. That's our vision. You know, we want people to live downtown and walk to these places and support the downtown stores and do all those things. But you have to make it livable. And, and you know, you have to give people reasonable alternatives. You don't want people to sprawl out in the suburbs. But what alternatives are you giving? Right? And, and, and that's where the conversation has to be. There's a couple of, uh, couple of things here. One of them that I'm thinking of, one of them is uh, uh, it's, it's psychological. Mm -hmm. There's something about the physical form factor that we all got. We're all basically the same size, the same shape, mm -hmm. more or less. Mm -hmm. We've got the same sensory apparatus. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's a, there are different ways, maybe on an individual basis, but I think you could probably find some, some categories in terms of what, what the individual needs mm. in terms of a safe, a sense of safety, yeah, and atmosphere, yes, and quality. At, at stages in their life too, mm -hmm. let's face it. You know, I mean, the needs change at different stages in your life. Yeah. And, and it's, it's great if you can have a community that has um, different uh, housing opportunities, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that can meet mix. those different needs. Yeah. But it always has to be livable. Like I said, you know, why, you know, why are we building for investors? So, do we have good metrics on these things? That's where technology could probably help us in terms of measuring. You know, I used to have conversations with Kelowna developers. Why are you not building ground-oriented, quality housing downtown? Why are you throwing up condos that you can hear the people from upstairs and? You know, you can hear the next door neighbor on their balcony. Why, why are you not building quality, ground-oriented, it can be dense, but at least make it soundproof, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. You're just building for investors. Why aren't you building for people? You know, surely there's a market. And maybe there is, but it's not. we're not there yet. I don't know. Well, this, this is a natural tie-in into planning departments themselves mm, mm. and how those decisions actually are adjudicated and enforced. And my last uh, uh, conversation that I had on this subject, um, it, came, it came down to how does this happen? Yeah. And, and, and it seemed to me the, that it was about political will. Because you can you can have the best planning in the world, but if you don't have the leadership to say, these are the choices that we've made as a community, and and therefore we're going to stand by them. And like you said earlier, the economic uh, the economic variables will sort themselves out. Yeah, but again, though, you know, and and like, you know, you're asking big questions. You know, you're asking challenging questions. If we had all the answers. We would have done it by now, 
you know, there's a lot of bright, motivated people that are dealing with these challenging problems. If it were easy, we would have done it by now. So these are very challenging and, and um, complicated questions that you're asking. And a lot of these things have to do with history. Why is this the way it is? Because you can't turn a super tanker on a dime. Okay, but at least if we're going in the right direction, that's, that's a good thing, right? They have to do with short-term versus long-term. They have to do with at least knowing what the right direction is, you know, which way is up, you know? Um, and they also have to do with um, the underpinnings of our democratic society, which is legal tools, right? And, and people have rights and, and um, you know, we develop our official community plans, we zone property, and, you know, when you make some of those decisions, you have conferred property rights. So for, for, for you to ask the question, well, how come council is approving that? In some cases, the answer is because it'll be pretty hard to refuse it if it, you know, is zoned properly. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So in other words, yeah. There's the, a framework the here. The table has been set. Yeah, there's a yeah. framework. Yeah. And back to turning that super tanker around. Mm -hmm. You know, there are decisions that were made 30 years ago that we are living with. You know, and you're not wiping those decisions off the map. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it all goes into a framework of, of you know, our, our um, sus, you know, democratic societal underpinnings, right? Yeah. Okay. And 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 this this is this is the world we live in. Yeah. And you know, we live in a democracy, and mm -hmm. and we have laws, and we do things by uh, law. Yeah. So, you know, so not as easy as you might think. That's all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And so to look at this, uh, to look at this uh, uh, from the other side, um, developers and the construction industry, I think as a whole, mm -hmm. they, they talk about things like, well, our regulatory environment could be better. There's there are costs involved mm -hmm. to get a project approved and so on. Yeah. Um, so. So well. So then. <laughs> do you do you know what some of those issues are? I do. So when they say when they say regulatory environment, it's 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 costing us too much money and so on. What does that mean? This is this is a whole other topic, okay? But uh, sh should but, we should we maybe save that for a, like a, no, a second I, day or no, something? No, but 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 I can I can give you an example, okay? okay? And um, in the in the south of Kelowna, in the Upper Mission, okay? Do you know what I'm talking about? 
Yeah, the Upper Mission, Kettle Valley, um, um, the Ponds, you know, all of those developments. Now I think they're talking about the Thompson uh, area, right? Okay. That was all being planned in the late 90s. Yeah, in the, in the late 90s, that was all being planned. And um, it even goes back to the 70s, okay? Because there was a land use contract. For the area that's now Kettle Valley, there was a land use contract um, and allowed 400 more units, okay, than what was already in the Oakview area. But that was unrealistic because you needed to bring water up there and the cost of bringing water up there, you need a lot more than 400 units. So essentially that whole area um, couldn't develop. Decisions were made that rather than have everything on septic as it was, you know, 400 units all on septic, um, decisions were made that sewers would be extended, water would be brought up to the higher levels at, at big costs, transportation would be extended, and so um, a lot of economic work and civil engineering work was done to determine, you know, what would be the costs of opening up that area and what would be the benefits of opening up that area. And the plan was done, uh, the plan was done and the costs were established and the developers bought into it and the DCC bylaw was changed. Now a DCC, do you know what a DCC is? A DCC is a development cost charge. And municipalities calculate them after having projected 20 years in the future to determine where the roads are going, where the trunk sewers are going, where those reservoirs are going, what is that uh, total cost, and how many units are we planning for, and what is the cost per unit, okay? And uh, the costs in the upper mission are the highest in Kelowna. Uh, to my memory, it might have changed, but to my memory, it was $10,000 a unit for transportation because there's huge transportation upgrades that are necessary. Um, you know, I'll say that the DCCs per unit are, you know, like 30000 a unit. And that's right off the top. Never mind, you have to build and develop and grade and you know so like those are costs right why should the developers pay DCCs because and, and DCCs um, when a when a municipality uh, approves a DCC bylaw uh, the municipality can can make a choice they can say well the developers should pay a hundred percent of the DCCs of what it should cost after all, development should pay for itself, right? Or they can have an assist factor 
and they can have the philosophy that, well, you know, other people are going to use those roads. So, you know, probably it's fair to have an assist factor of X percentage. Because even though those roads and that sewer and that water is going to support this development, other people are going to drive on those roads. So let's have an assist factor of 30%, 40%, 50%, right? Mm -hmm. So that $10,000 per unit for transportation DCCs has an assist factor in it, okay? Mm. Okay. So development isn't paying 100% of the cost mm -hmm. for, for good and valid reasons. But the other side of that argument is, why does that little old lady on a fixed income on Richter Street have to pay for some development out in the South Mission? How much is that little old lady on a fixed income? How much should that person pay on their taxes to support development in the exterior? So these are all like philosophical decisions that councils have to make because somebody's got to pay. Hmm. And so they're weighing out what the costs get charged to development versus what are the costs that get charged to the average taxpayer. Those are you know, important philosophical decisions. So when you hear developers saying, oh, the DCCs are too high, you're, you're stifling development, you know, we can't bring affordable housing on, you know, because it's costing us like, you know, X amount of dollars right out of the gate. Okay. Mm -hmm. So municipalities can adjust their DCCs. And they can say, well, you know, the DCCs for a single family house are going to be up here. But, you know, if it's a multifamily, you know, the DCCs will be here. And so they can use that to some extent. Hmm. You know, so, it, I mean, the whole talk of, you know, oh, it's costing us way too much money to bring housing on the market. It, it's... There's a lot of nuances to that. Mm -hmm. Back to what we said before, black and white versus shades of gray. <clears throat> okay. Mm -hmm. like, the, like These are big topics. And, you know, municipalities and councils have to make decisions. Mm -hmm. They make those decisions based on information given to them by their staff, by their professional staff, their professional planners, their professional engineers, their finance people. You know, and, and these are decisions that communities have to weigh out. And again, no silver bullets. No silver bullets. And all of those decisions should be weighed out against who are we? What is our vision? What are the things that are important to us as a community? Mm -hmm. What direction are we headed in? Can we stand some short-term pain? if we think it's gonna have a benefit in the long run, or is the short-term pain too painful? <laughs> you know, are, you know, are we creating, you know, inequities or unemployment or, you know, is the short-term pain, you know, something we really do have to deal with versus that long-term thing? And, and these are all conversations and, considerations that communities need to have. Hmm.
that was that was I think very valuable I think anyone who uh, for myself speaking for myself I'm gonna go back and I'm going to listen to this conversation again yeah. because I think there's a lot of valuable information here. Google DCC bylaw mm -hmm. on City of Kelowna website take a look at the DCC bylaw. I would rather talk to you it's far more uh, <laughs> <laughs> enjoyable. Okay so now okay so now this leads me to another topic. Okay. People think that bylaws and zoning bylaws People think it's dry and boring. Right? It's not. Nope. I don't think so. What I tell people about zoning bylaws, and I mean, you know, open up a zoning bylaw someday and read it. But what I tell people about zoning bylaws is that dictates the look and feel of your community. And I, I ask people, I say, you know, what do you see when you walk out your front door every morning? Do you like what you see? Do you not? Are there things that you don't like? Are there things that you wish would be different? Are there things that you like that you want to preserve? Zoning bylaw tells you what the look and feel of your community. It matters. A really unsexy name, though. Zoning bylaw yeah, doesn't really grab it's, you. It's historic. Yeah. But what does your zoning bylaw control? Controls the use, the land use. So that means single family, multifamily, density, commercial. Okay, use. Mm -hmm. It controls density, and it controls building form. So when you walk out your front door, you see the, you know, maybe you see single family houses. They're set back six meters from the front property line. The maximum height is that much. Your road is that wide. That's the look and feel of your community. Mm -hmm. Zoning bylaw, it matters. And, and you know, um, you can walk down a street, you can go to a community, you can, you can go to another community and you can look around and you'll like, wonder what kind of a zoning bylaw they have here. And if you're a zoning nerd, <laughs> you go to city hall and you look it up. Or if you're like me, you walk around your neighborhood and you see something that catches your eye and you're like, and for me, um, I more maybe more often than not, it's an eyesore that catches my eye, and I'll take mm -hmm. a snapshot yeah, of it. Yeah, and you know how? Why is that like that? Yeah, you know, somebody should do something. Why is mm -hmm. that allowed to be like why? that? Why? 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 Can't we do better? Yeah. Do you know yeah. the, the whole aesthetic? Yeah. yeah. You know, can't we? Why do is better? that the way it is? Yeah. And 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 you know. Yeah. Sometimes you find out, and you know. It's a historic thing, or yeah. you know, or it's an enforcement thing, or yeah. it's a you know. Do you know the, should care. The one thing that I think that I'm hearing, and we haven't touched on it yet. And I don't know if we'll have time to really get into it because I think it's another rabbit hole. But it might be. <laughs> it could be. Lots of them. Um, the word uh, 
the philosophical side has come up a mm. few times. And I think it, you know, and as you say, like it, it, I think it relates directly to how we identify as a community, what's important to us and mm -hmm. so on. And um, it's, do you think, here's what I would like to see. I would like to see, and, and maybe this is editorializing now here, it probably is clearly, um, I would like to see more more salient discussions about the philosophical underpinnings about the choices that we're making, mm -hmm. because that feeds mm. directly yeah. into yeah. you know the sort of political yes. choices we yes. make and so on and so yes. forth. Is there room for that in 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 a planning conversation? Yes, yes. it's very political, there isn't it? Be. Right? Yeah, there should yeah. be. Yeah. I mean, Kelowna is right now redoing its official community plan. Mm -hmm. They've gone through that whole Imagine Kelowna exercise. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's the time to have these conversations. And that's the time for people to be interested. Mm -hmm. uh, are you a fan of philosophy? Do you, do you uh, are there any, when I say philosoph philosophy or philosophers, any names jump up at you like, oh, I love, uh, you know, so-and-so or... No, you know. no. Um, I, you know, no one person in particular. And, and, and that's more than okay. Um, one, one name that comes up for me uh, in the last couple of years, certainly, uh, is somebody mentioned to me who I would consider... Uh, very smart person, somebody I certainly have a lot of respect for here in the community. And actually, um, I think he, uh, he's, he's a person who I would say mm -hmm. I can point to and say that uh, his influence is also part of the reason why I'm sitting here talking to you today because mm -hmm. uh, he is an architect mm -hmm. and um, uh, Philosophy is, is important to him and, and was important to him in his, uh, in his evolution as, as an architect. And in fact, he, he actually built um, his master's thesis on a philosophical framework. And uh, so Martin Heidegger, mm. Being in Time, he mm. wrote Being in Time. And it was an exploration, in part, his thesis was about how we perceive time and place, mm. whether we are stationary or mm. whether we are moving mm. through. And that, and that yeah. aspect of yeah. transportation and the car, yeah. the yeah. centrality of, yeah, yeah it, ma it, matters. it matters, it, it matters. matters. Yeah. yeah, yeah. To me, I think that's where the rubber yes. really hits yes. the road. Yes, yeah. And you know, and again, those are the choices we make. Yeah. And, and sometimes we give things up to get other things that we perceive as benefits. And, it, you know, there's no right answer. It's there's just no right answer. No. And yeah. isn't that, a, that's a great place to both start and, yeah. and end, yeah. I think. There's no right answer. There's no right answer. We just do the best we can with the information that we have and the yeah. things that we have learned along the way. And I think, I think most people would agree, that's okay. 
There's value in that. We all are doing the best we can. Mm-hmm. At least I hope we are. Mm-hmm. And back to that old planner optimist thing, hey? Mm-hmm. I hope yes. we are. Yes. <laughs> hope springs eternal. Yeah. Well, that gets back to um, who was the writer that you mentioned at the very beginning? Um, the, she wrote that famous book, and it's uh, the word spring is in the title. Oh, Rachel Carson. Rachel Carson. Silent Spring. Silent Spring. Yeah. Fantastic book. Yeah. I'm going to actually go and reread that. Yeah. That was a groundbreaking book. Mm-hmm. That changed a lot. And sometimes, you know, you don't know that you're writing a groundbreaking book. Or you don't know. You know? Mm-hmm. You just do it because you think it seems right. Yeah. But that, you know, when did she write that? It had to be the early 70s. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. relevant. Mm-hmm. Still relevant. Yeah. You know? And that came out, and that came out of a different time period, a different culture. But, you know. A fertile culture. Yeah. But we're, you know, we're still all humans, and we're still all grappling with the same, Yeah. you know, same things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know. There's optimism in that. There's, there's, yeah. It's abundant. Yeah, and, and lots of good things have happened as a result of that. And a lot of changes have been made as a result of that. Yeah. And we have changed them. And, and you know, I thought we were going to be talking about health and healthy communities. But, um, you know, I always think about cigarette smoking, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, you know, you watch the Hollywood movies from the 30s and 40s and like, everybody's got a cigarette. And, and you know, we've learned, you know, in, in, my, uh, in my jobs that I had just coming out of school, people had cigarettes going on their desks at work. And, and I wasn't a smoker, but the smoke would drift over from the next door neighbor who was you know mm-hmm. and how we've changed right you know somebody would light up a cigarette now and you'd like you know you give them a look <laughs> right how yeah. we've changed mm. and 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 you know i think of you can change <laughs> right mm-hmm. you can make choices You can, you know, science and technology can give you the information you need to make those choices. You know, and and what will be the next thing, right? Mm -hmm. What will be the next big choice that we need to make as a society? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's maybe a good place to end. You've really inspired me to uh, think about planning in new ways, and you've un- I think together we've we've uncovered a lot of mm-hmm. ground mm-hmm. to explore, um, and who knows where it'll go. Um, but this idea around uh, well economics, mm. political science, even philosophy. I think these are important conversations to have too. They, yes, they have they a are. big impact. Yes, they are. Yeah. So I don't know when they'll come into the mix, but you've certainly inspired me to keep keep going. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I and I can't I, I you know I can't refer you to an economist or a political scientist or somebody in that era. But one of the things that I do think about, you know, again in the context of planning, is um, market forces are like a river. Okay, you're not going to swim upstream, but you might guide the way your boat goes down the river, you might avoid certain shoals, right? I don't think you're going to swim upstream for very long because market forces are a strong river. But you have to understand market forces and you have to understand, you know, your vision and who you are and which, at least which side of the river <laughs> you want to tend towards. And that's how you you know, paddle your boat, to use that of an analogy. Mm -hmm. yeah. But as a planner, you have to know that, you know, market forces are, are a very strong consideration. Yeah. And don't be so idealistic that you think you're going to swim upstream, because you're not. Well, but at least guide yeah. those forces of change. Mm -hmm. Change, yeah, we, you know. So again, not black or white. Not black and white, and uh, that you know, I think that's that's a great cue because the cost, the cost of, of these projects, the cost of yeah. money. Yeah. How many people it's really important. understand how that works? It's important. Yeah. So yeah, I encourage you. Planners and the health professionals have been working closer and closer together, and I think there's uh, come to be an understanding of how much the built environment influences people's physical and mental health, okay? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of the work that, say, the Canadian Institute of Planners has been doing has, you know, the, the health professionals in the planning community have been reaching out to each other because I think they realize they're trying to tackle this problem, you know, from completely different perspectives and that they each have a lot to contribute.